Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson, founder and president of M4 Innovation, bringing you the next episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast from our studio in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We're glad you stopped by. You know, there are many mountains to climb, some which seem impossible today in healthcare. It's time for you to get motivated to take on one of these journeys. Are you in? If so, let's start the show. All right. Well, hey, hi. How are things going? Hope that uh, wherever you're listening to this, you've had a heck of a good couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I wanted to get into the the discussion around your story as, as, as an executive. What is your story in this industry? And what story are you building in your career? And when it's judged over time, how is that going to be judged? And, you know, I went back and, you know, I... I Looked at things like uh, Donald Miller's book. If you haven't read it, it's called Building a Story Brand. Clarify your message so customers will listen. Sounds good, right? One thing that that book did for me, and I guess it's not necessarily the overall aha aha moment that we're we're seeking on a day-in and day-out basis, but it was one of these things where I was like, you know what, that's a pretty clarifying moment and something that I've been thinking about for a while anyway. In any good story, whether it's a marketing program, whether you're sitting across the table as a salesperson trying to get a deal done over a dinner, but no matter what's going on in that situation, whether it's a dinner or whether it's sitting across from a manager on a project that you're working on or whatever, I mean, the biggest highlight to all of this is that, you know, the story that you're telling has to be clear. You know, I, I love this this whole hero and villains analogy. You know, when you think about any great story, you know, as we talked about a, a moment ago, there's there's always a hero. And the question in the story, the storyline is always, what does the hero want? If you were to make this about, you know, a healthcare consumer, the the initial question could be, what what does the healthcare consumer want? Well, they probably want a great product and low prices, right? We've been talking about that for decades in this industry. Who or what's opposing that from happening? Well. You could look at any any of a number of areas of potential blame. You could you could say that it's it's insurers. You could say that it's that not aren't aren't controlling costs. You can say it's hospitals that uh, charge too much for what they do, and physicians that are all kind of balled into that. You can say that there's you know runaway pharmacy prices. These are the the villains potentially of the industry right now that are causing the consumer not to get what they want. And then you you know the third question in a good story is always. You know, what, what happens when the consumer does or doesn't get what they want and what are kind of the outcomes as you write the storyline on this? And right now you can say it's increasingly unaffordable product. You can say that in certain segments it's people dropping coverage. Uh, you can say in other segments it's more government intervention and involvement in the form of subsidies or, you know, trying to, to spur different payment methodologies and things like Medicare. But those are the three components to, you know, to a story. And there's always a hero and a villain. And the question is right now, is your organization and the role you're in, are you guys deemed as heroes or villains in this story? And as you look forward the next five years, how, how will the story be rewritten? So I think that's an interesting thing. And just in anything that you're trying to offer and communicate to the market, clarity is important. It has to pass the grunt test. You know, what do you offer? How is it going to make my life better? And why do I need, you know, what do I need to do to support you? in the process, or what do I need to do to buy it if you're a salesperson? And I think those are 
three pretty pretty good things. And you know, in every story, you know, there's always an issue that pops up. There's always some hero or character in the story that wants to do something and they encounter a problem and that problem statement's really clearly defined in the story. And at the peak of a moment of despair, a guide steps into their lives, gives them a plan, calls them to action. And then that call to action helps them avoid failure or ends in success. And there's no better forum for some of this than some of the documentaries that have been going on around you know, mountain climbing and other things. And living in a community like this, I've been pretty inspired by a number of stories lately and a number of people that have looked up at what's deemed an impossible climb or an impossible wall, and they've made it possible. And I think there's a lot of really interesting things that we can draw from the drama, the stories, the failures before the successes of these folks that, you know, we should be applying to our industry. There are walls that we, we can scale in this industry. We just need to do it. So, you know, as part of all of this and as part of having the, I don't know, honor, I guess, of, of being in a place like Jackson, you, you start to get much more aligned in, in, in the thinking with the communities that take advantage of, of all the climbing and skiing and the other things that kind of originate in and around this valley and, and lots of other places, too. As I've been here more and more, I mean, one of the things that that just sits on me is just the mindset of some of the athletes that want to go out and tackle things that me, personally, I can't even fathom. It might even be true for you. It might be things that you can't fathom. I, I can't tell you how many nights I've sat at a table and I've had someone that's that's been in the restaurant that's had just a fascinating conversation about how they've run between numerous mountains over several miles over several days and they did it because they liked it and they did it because they're super athletes and they did it because they you know can survive at 10,000 feet in a way that I can't even fathom and you know I thought about that a heck of a lot more and and it it you know really made me dig into a lot of the things that have been done and and I you know this this discussion when we talk about your obstacles when we talk about things that we got to get we got to overcome to achieve the things that we want to achieve in life I don't know if there's a better set of examples than some of the the recent documentaries that have come out that you know are highlighting some of the the key folks in the climbing the mountain climbing community that that have their tethers here or other places. Uh, I mean, I, I was almost drawn to tears when I saw some of the things that, that these folks have had to overcome in their lives to achieve what, to that point, was considered impossible. And there's a lesson there for all of us as we kind of get further into this. When you think about impossible, and I'm talking truly, let's 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 do some recent examples. And I had the great pleasure of listening to a talk from Alex Honnold, who he's recently been in the film that just got a lot of accolades from Jimmy Chen. He's the person that it was actually the 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 target subject of Free Solo. 
And, you know, if you're a casual observer, you you go into that movie and you go, gosh, that documentary, you go, wow, this guy is crazy. He just literally did what, you know, from a climbing community perspective was called the free rider ascent without a rope, with no margin for error. And he got all the way to the top of El Capitan, El Capitan, in Yosemite in California. That ascent has been, by numerous people, considered one of the greatest sporting achievements of all time. And there is this documentary by Jimmy Chen that recounts it all. It's fascinating expose. It's a facts it's it's really a fascinating documentary on not just the ascent, but everything else that goes into it. You know, what's not always talked about in kind of a ninety ish minute discussion are the nine years of exploration that went into making that climb happen to make something that seems unfamiliar more familiar. And, you know, I, I love some of the the things that have come out of the, the epiphanies from people like Alex. And, and like I said, I, I was able to hear some of his commentary when he was here in Jackson. And, you know, he, he basically said, you know, I mean, the thing about climbing in his mind is that it's, it's the ability to seek out those highest moments with uncertain outcomes in which you're forced to push through to survive. It's a life or death thing. There's no ropes. It's up or down. So obviously the level of preparation that goes into something like that is is extreme. It's extreme. It's not just something that's done on a whim. And I have a hell of a lot of respect for someone who's willing to say that there is no pure form of being perfect, at least in their mind, than to climb something one person or a number of people have deemed impossible and to do it without a rope, where any error actually results in death. Now, that's an extreme example, but think about that. Think about people that are willing to seek some kind of higher moment in their life. But on the other end, risk death to get there. To do the impossible, but to make it almost a life or death moment. And that's just, to me, has been, over the last several days, a fascinating thing to think about. You take over 20 years of climbing for someone, and it culminates in two years of intense study of a mountain and nine years of going up and down around to get to the moment that becomes a documentary film that actually wins awards. You know, and before that, there's Maru. And that's Jimmy Chen and Conrad Anchor, and they were able to to ascend Maru, and it took several days, and there's a a period of time, you know, in all of these these exploits and all of these expositions and all of these things that these folks want to do along the journey there is this determination to get there there's failure there's loss 
original ascents that didn't happen, and you learn from it, and you go back and try it again. And and all of these these documentaries, what's what's gripping to me, whether it's what Alex did, whether it's what Conrad and Jimmy did on Maru, whether it's you know if you if, to my for my money, one of the best ones out there. Once it gets going, the Don Wall, which looks like what Tommy Caldwell did. You know that was considered almost I mean really almost the impossible ascent and it, it captivated media minds and others from all over the country for for a bit when when he did it and again everybody think gosh he did it and it took weeks to do it but what they don't realize is it took over six years to plot the course to get there looking at every nook and cranny and every crack and every foothold on that wall to get up and I'm by no ways I'm not a climber I, I am by no ways an expert in any of this other than being an admirer. I think that there's a lot that we, as an industry, can learn from this. I mean, we look at things now like, can we have, can we actually create something that controls cost in our industry? That may be our El Capitan. That may be the mountain that we need to summit. That may be the wall that we need to climb. Can we get there? It may, like Tommy called, but take six years of experimentation and hitting every foothold in the wall and every finger prick in the wall and everything else to figure out how we can climb it and how we can get there. What I don't love to hear about this industry is to say that cost going up is an inevitable thing and it's just going to continue to happen and happen and happen. It's the same thing that was said in front of people like Conrad Anchor with Maru. Tommy Caldwell with El Capitan. Alex Honnold, when he free soloed El Capitan, which is just still an unbelievable feat. You know what? There are people in their worlds that told them that they couldn't do what they did too. If anything, I hope that it's, it's an inspiration point when you go back and you look at what some of these folks have done as athletes out in, out in nature to say, I want to draw that inspiration myself, and I want to be the person. I want to be the person sitting here right now that makes the determination to find the wall I want to scale in healthcare. I want to find it, and I want to get there. It may be the Don Wall, it may be Maru, it may be something else, but the point is, there are walls to scale in our industry. And it requires a superhero like you to get there. And I think that's 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 what's so such such a cool moment when you think about all the feats that have been done on this side where people said, uh uh-uh, uh, there is no way that can be done. That's an impossible climb. It's impossible until somebody does it. And that's the key. It's impossible until somebody does it. So I, I love the the thinking in these documentaries and everything else. I going back to the whole heroes and villains things. You know, and some of these, you know, the, Tommy and others, they're heroes. But they're heroes because they've umber, overcome unbelievable odds to do what they did. You know, I, I love that. You know, as we think through our particular industry, 
there are people out there that have done a lot of work in connecting people, you know, long before you and I have had this conversation, people like Tim O'Reilly, you know, Tim has a book called, you know, what's the future and why it's up to us. And the books, you know, it's, it's, it's a great book. It's a great book about all the things that he's done up to this point in his career to connect people to actually influence industries and, you know, largely in the tech industry and on the West coast. And, and, I, there's some interesting things in that in that book, and there's a couple that I'll distill it down, a couple of lines that I think are really worth discussing with regard to healthcare. One, you know, he says that truly disruptive new services don't just digitize the familiar, they do away with it. It's it's very analogous to looking up at a wall and that everybody says impossible, you can't do that route, you can't get to the top, there's no way you can get up there until somebody puts in the work and they do it and they get it there and they get it done. So think about all the discussion around disruptive new services in healthcare and then kind of categorize them and say, okay, gosh, of all these services that are out there, how many of them are just trying to accelerate the familiar? How many of them are just trying to make what we already do better, faster, cheaper. And they go, yeah, those are kind of interesting. And then maybe take a step back and say, all right, but what's that one thing that's going on out there in the market right now that I've just got my hands around? They're not just thinking about how to make things better and faster and cheaper. They're thinking about looking at the things that we do today, some of them, and how we can get we can just do away with it and i think there are things out there right now you think about underwriting is an example you know on, on the insure tech money that's being spent in droves on the property and casualty side and auto side and travel insurance side and so on and so forth there's a whole lot of discussion and thinking on how we can radically pull the consumer buying process into a more streamlined approach and how we can create more of an automated underwriting capability. And I think that's that's fascinating. I think they're using a lot of artificial intelligence and other things. And I think there are opportunities in health insurance where we know certain things that we can do that and we can do that better. So I think those are those are interesting things, and you know, you kind of staying with 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 Tim O'Reilly for a bit. You know, the other thing that he concluded in all, in all of his writings and stuff is that you know the central platform of the internet age was that more freedom leads to more growth. In a lot of ways, that feels the way the health insurance industry is set up, particularly today. That feels almost like the exact opposite. We're not about more freedom of information and data and other things, which would lead to potentially more growth. We're more like the early Microsoft days and others where we wanted to, you know, with AOL and others, we wanted to just control everything in that environment. And the Internet, you know, it said, no, we're not going to have that. We're going to create this democratized process that can't be regulated by any one particular company. And the Internet exploded from there, and there were, you know, now there's, you know, I don't know, billions upon billions of documents out there because of it. 
and lots of knowledge and knowledge sharing and good and the good and the bad that comes with that. Some of it's good and some of it's not so good, but it's there. And all this coddling and controlling of information and data and, and controlling of, of core models and everything else is not it's not going to go the way people think they think it's going to go. It's, it's going to go the way of MSN and AOL in the early days. It's, it's you know, where the Internet and others are going to come around them and they're going to invent things. They're going to invent things that allow for the freedom of this information to go. So a lot of this has been around consumer centricity and how we get more information in the hands of the consumer so the consumer can do more things in the healthcare system so that they can have a bigger say and voice in how they receive care. That's that's a step. That's probably the first step. But, you know, as we go further and further, you know, the questions become as we think about product models and other things, you know, do we, are we living in a world where consumers dictate and have bundles completely customized, built around them? Do we get that precise? You know, insurance as it exists today has been largely built on imprecision, not precision. But if precision starts coming in more and more, does that impact some of the things that we're trying to do? And does that impact some of the things that you're trying to do? What I'm really interested in is really the this this discussion like at the outset is, you know, who's who's gonna be a hero and who's gonna be a villain as we play out healthcare going forward. One thing I can tell you for certain is that there is this and it's been kind of interesting to me is, you know, one of the things that I think the industry's gotta really take a, a pretty deep look at is all of this multi-tiered pricing and the things that go on because we have different prices between Medicaid and we have different prices between Medicare and we have different prices between large employers and sometimes small employers. With all these tiers that are set up and then you, you multiply that by a factor of whatever based on all the, the darn insurance companies that have different contracts and hospitals that have different contracts with these insurance companies because of all the fragmentation and stuff, how do we ever get anywhere in making an impact on cost and affordability with all this this fragmentation? I've talked about this in a previous podcast too, but how do we get anywhere? I, I've been in some really fascinating discussions lately where, you know, it's it's really apparent that even if the government were to mandate a different pricing scheme for, let's call it Medicaid, the thing that is not discussed enough is that there is still facts, there is still fixed fixed administrative cost across the delivery system and in insurance, whether it's an insurer, whether it's a hospital, whether it's the the folks that are selling pharmaceuticals at some cost. There is some fixed cost for all of that. And if you take away with some something that actually creates an advantage in the market, you take away costs for one thing. The fixed cost of all the various providers of these services don't go away. So if let's say the government says in Medicaid we need you to recruit we need to reduce your cost by five percent, as an example, in a multi tiered world all the actors that deliver these services and say, wow, well, we're going to take a hit at 5% here, but thank goodness we have these other tiers. And what they end up doing is they end up cost shifting the burden of those cuts across the other tiers. 
And I talked about this in the employer thing that was a podcast a couple of episodes ago. There is this thing that's going on that just says that in healthcare, we there's a fixed cost, there's a there's a baseline, a flat line for all the people that are employed in the delivery of healthcare services and all the people that do a lot of the innovation work around pharmaceuticals and all the people that deliver insurance services, there's this fixed cost that's associated with healthcare. We may or may not love the price, whatever that fixed cost may be, but it exists no matter what innovation that we tr- we decide we want to pull forward. The only way to truly think about this problem differently is to figure out either how to pull down those fixed costs some way, shape, or form, or do something that is so totally different that it doesn't require the delivery mechanism that we're seeing today. It kind of goes back to you know, what we talked about with Tim O'Reilly. You know, some of the disruption, when people really talk about disruption, is not just doing what's familiar. It's about eliminating what people feel that is familiar today. You know, and you know, right now that may be the things like more services delivered at home and other things. But I, I don't think we stop there. I mean, this is where I want to get you guys fired up and say, what are some of the ideas that you have? What are the things that today where we're trapped in our own mind saying this is what's familiar? And I think it's you know it's worthy to stay on this theme for just a bit because there are times where I think we get trapped in our own mind and we get trapped in our own mind because the world around us is very familiar. You know, way back when, there was an entire industry built around servicing horses because horses were the way to travel over long distances of land to get humankind from one distance to the other. Think about the pioneers that set out on the Oregon Trail. As an example, they did it on horseback. Over time, some new thinker came along and said, you know what? What if we put an engine in a metal box with wheels and it allowed us to be more efficient? And then along came the automobile. All of a sudden, the automobile became the new apex point of something new, novel, and and eventually became familiar. And the horseback versions of travel became less familiar. And in a lot of ways, for many forms of travel outside of leisure, far um, far less mainstream. More, more obsolete in its feeling. It just, just kind of happened as this progression happened. Same thing with air travel versus traveling by boat or train, which used to be the most common methods to get around the country. And we, we have at times, when you think about changing what's familiar today with something that's unfamiliar, there have been points along the last hundred years where you can easily make make the case that those things have happened. The question is in healthcare, where are those moments and what moments are you going to be leading with your team? How can you get out of your own head every once in a while, think differently about the about the problem and come back and say, yeah, we've been doing it this way forever, but there's a better way. And it actually takes people stepping out of their box to be able to do that. And that's not that's not easy. Yeah, that's what pulling back the whole, you know, mountain climbing and, and scaling, you know, scaling the wall at, at El Capitan, you know, again, you know, it's the reason we talked about this is that that wasn't just happened. That just didn't, didn't just happen. There was a lot of planning and exploration and a lot of things that went into the scientific study of that wall so that it got more familiar over time. You know, I think of this in healthcare particularly, there is this insatiable appetite for 
this massive disruption is going to come along and it's going to change the industry and it's going to change it forever and for good and it's going to happen tomorrow. It probably isn't. It's really a set of stages that starts to lead us onto a course that where we are at this point in time feels obsolete as we look back five years from now. It's the series of scientific progressions. It's a series of thoughts. It's the people that go out on these journeys that start climbing the wall and they, they go up the first time and they fail and they fall. They go up the second time, they fail and they fall, but they get a little bit more familiar. They go up a third time, they fail and they fall. And then they probably want to quit. But then something inside of them says, keep going because I know deep down that this is where the industry is going and this is where I've got to lead this industry and this is where my team has got to take this industry and this is where my company has to take this industry and you keep going. And then one day, the journey doesn't feel as foreign. And you get to the top and you finally get that view, that overarching view of the landscape and you get to enjoy the view. You get to enjoy the view of what many people before you had called an impossible journey. We need leaders in this industry that want to take on those type of journeys. We're captivated by people like that. We're captivated by stories like that. We've been captivated by the Alzheimer's story that's going on here in Jackson Hole right now with Brain Chemistry Labs. It was featured in, in Fortune just, just a few weeks ago. They're taking on the impossible journey of actually trying to halt Alzheimer's. There's so much we can do, whether it's from technology, looking at the underwriting process differently, whether it's medical advances, whether it's figuring out how to make generics cheap again. There, there's so much we can do. You know, maybe it's changing the way we look at primary care. I mean, maybe primary care becomes a digitally enabled capability that's all done at a very low transactional cost. And actually going to see a, a doctor becomes only a necessity when something inside our body is going, going terribly wrong. And, you know, maybe it, it turns it away from being the, you know, the C, the primary care doctor for, you know, a script to be filled thing that we see in the system today. You know, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's outpatient surgery and it moves to this, you know, where there's all this discussion around how fully autonomous vehicles are going to come into society and, and it's going to make the roadways and everything a lot more efficient. But there's also, you know, a futurist view on some of this that says that, there, there's actually going to be, you know, big modular units on wheels that are going to be able to to be transported to various places all over the city. And you could actually make the, the you know, trying to dreaming and the dream to become a reality that maybe the future of outpatient care is there. Instead of you going to an outpatient center for, you know, a day in a day out surgery for, for something that's relatively minor, maybe in this future, this autonomous module actually shows up right outside of your house. And inside the unit, there is a there, there's there's a robot surgeon that's connected via you know a you know a five G six G uplink, where there's a physician that's sitting in a remote building somewhere else, and they perform the surgery using the robot arms, in this sanitized modular building. And then there's a nurse that's in there when the procedure's done that, you know, does all the uh, various outpatient checks and walks you back, and you recover in the comfort of your own home. That may be an example of how we we look at things differently and. You know, in that world, you may not need all the various, you know, infrastructure expense that comes with these outpatient facilities that have been built today. So I just, there's opportunities to think about things differently. And that's going to require the leadership from people like you to get us there, to take the dream and then get on the wall and start climbing. So I think that's a good place to end. 
Thank you very much for listening to the Altitude Sessions podcast brought to you by M4 Innovation, where inside our circle we see health differently. We look forward to connecting with you in a couple weeks. Until then, be good. We'll talk soon.